I think it's really important for students too to see that music is a community and to see that kind of relationship and that uh, collaboration happening. There are lots of ways to to think about it happening, but I would say just connect with someone and be creative and be as open-minded as possible. And you can find a way to make that sort of collaboration happen for your specific program. This is the Institute for Music Leadership. Today on the program, we're discussing a project entitled Expanding the Curriculum, Commissioning Diverse Repertoire for Intermediate Band and Orchestra, which received funding support from a Paul R. Judy Center for Innovation and Research grant. On behalf of this project, we're joined by Dr. Lisa Caravan, Assistant Professor of Music Teaching and Learning at the Eastman School of Music. Dr. Caravan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. And we have Dr. Alden Snell, Associate Professor of Music Teaching and Learning at the Eastman School of Music. Dr. Snell, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. And we have the commission composer from this project, Brittany Green, a PhD candidate at Duke University. Ms. Green, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So first, let's begin. What was the impetus for this project? Dr. Caravan, could you share some thoughts with us? Yes, I'd love to. Um, the project started um, between Dr. Snell and I talking about uh, different ways to engage our students with uh, newer repertoire or uh, commissioning new pieces with our secondary students who uh, take our classes at Eastman, our music education students. And I was reminded of a project that I worked on while I was a student at Eastman, which was my dissertation project, where I analyzed works, student works, by a composer who was also a cellist. Her name was Grace Vamos. And she wrote two student cello concertos that I analyzed in comparison with standard repertoire from the Suzuki curriculum. And so I thought back to that project and how I was so interested in how she really worked to write a piece that was so level appropriate for young players. And so this really stuck in my mind once I continued my work at looking at different kind of repertoire for cello students, um, even looking at repertoire for orchestra uh, students that I was working uh, with when I was a teacher in Fairport Central Schools. I taught grades four through nine. And it's a challenge to find repertoire that will really speak to students, but also be the appropriate level and the goals that we're looking for as teachers. So uh, another project that kind of relates to this is a project I'm doing with Dr. Daniel Ketter, who is an alum of Eastman School of Music. And he and I are co-directing this cello repertoire teaching consortium, where we're bringing teachers together to commission music by new composers. And we're actually in our third season of doing this and where we're reaching out to teachers. We're actually reaching out to students and other stakeholders that want to really think about this idea of expanding the repertoire, like you were saying in the title of our project. So we are so fortunate to work with really some great composers with that, Curtis Stewart is one of them in particular who also is an alumni of Eastman. 
a violinist and composer. So these projects, I was like, okay, so how can we do this for orchestra and for band? Because our my passion, and I think our passion is really this intermediate level. How can we, I, I'll say it this way, how can we expect there to be change in what we perform actually at the collegiate level if we don't look to when we're educating these young musicians even earlier in beginning and intermediate. So that's where I brought my passion to this. Maybe Alden, you want to add? Oh uh, yeah, thanks, Lisa. The the one thing I think I would add to everything Lisa just set up for us is again this level two intermediate level repertoire. In terms of moving students through a curriculum, it often ends up being either too hard for lower achieving students, or it's too easy for higher achieving students. And thus we end up with a lot of problems with attrition when we're trying to retain students. So in addition to all of the important ideas surrounding getting as interesting and diverse and as equitable of repertoire as possible into the hands of students, we have a really fundamental music making problem of honing in to that intermediate level and making sure the music is accessible from an instrument performance standpoint also. Yeah, and if I could add, a master's student, Jonathan Fleischman, that both Alden and I worked with, um, did his field project on examining the practices of secondary orchestra directors, so high school mainly, orchestra directors choosing music by BIPOC composers. So he got some interesting quotes from area teachers in New York State. He surveyed uh, orchestra teachers in New York. And one quote that I just wanted to say is, more level one to two repertoire that is accessible to middle school orchestra students with an exclamation point. So this was the theme of some of the survey responses in particular. So Alden and I decided to say, okay, well, how can we commission repertoire for this middle school student? And so we were fortunate enough to receive a Paul R. Judy Center for Innovation and Research grant, which we're very thankful for because then we could move forward in trying to see well, who can we uh, talk to about this project and who can we work with uh, on this collaboration between us as you know, researchers, teachers, but also teachers in the schools and students and a composer? So then how was it that you came to meet Brittany and identify her as the right composer for this project? We um, actually had the opportunity to reach out to Rob Deemer who is the director of the Institute for Composer Diversity. They really work, I'm going to kind of talk about their mission a little bit. They work to encourage the discovery, the study, and performance of music written by composers from historically excluded groups. So we, Alden, uh, uh, Rob, and I met on a Zoom call, and we talked about our project with him and all the different facets that it could be. And we said, would you be willing to work with us to identify some composers that may be interested in this uh, working and composing for an educational level ensemble? There were a lot of composers that we talked about and thought about, but what Rob specifically helped us with was finding somebody like Brittany who had some school background. Brittany has worked in the schools. And again, back to this, there's a 
processes, a very specific skill set to write an intermediate level piece that works. Um, so that was sort of the added uh, variable that uh, Rob had to help us work through and then ended up reaching out to Brittany. And for our listeners who don't know, uh, the Institute for Composure Diversity, um, created by Rob Deemer, he's a faculty member at the State University of New York at Fredonia, and that is an incredibly beneficial and helpful resource that's available online to get a little more information about the repertoire that's out there actually by different types of ensembles. So I encourage everyone to go ahead and check that out as well. So Brittany, what was uh, your experience like at the early stages engaging in these conversations with Dr. Snell and Dr. Caravan about this project? I think some of the kind of early questions that we were thinking about is one, how to compose something that could capture students' attention, but then also from a pedagogical standpoint, thinking about what do we want students to be able to walk away from performing this piece with? What musical skills should they have? And then also, you know, thinking about extra musical education opportunities as well. How can we create a piece that is also co-curricular, which I think was something that was important to all of us. I remember in my experience as a band director, that being something that was not only important to me as a teacher, but also expected of me as a teacher to find ways to not just teach students these musical skills, but to connect the music that we were playing to other things they were learning in their other courses. So it was really exciting kind of thinking through that and kind of coming up with ideas on how to make that happen. And then of course, creating a piece where uh, we could share kind of tidbits of the piece before it was done so that students would have access to the melody or maybe some of the rhythmic motifs uh, some of the harmonic structure to use through the app that uh, they're creating as a tool to help students learn the piece as well. So kind of thinking through all of these uh, various pieces, which is really exciting in a way that's different from, say, commissions for professional ensembles where you're just purely thinking of musical ideas. We're also thinking about these other challenges of how to connect with students, how to teach students something through the piece, how to take elements of the piece and build some sort of uh, pedagogical path for them to follow, to learn the music and the skills of uh, the musical skills from the piece that we want them to leave with. So it's really exciting being able to think of all of these other things as well. And uh, it creates like a challenge in a fun way of like, okay, well, how do I, Compose within these limitations? How do I create something that kind of addresses all of these things, but is still a piece of music that I find exciting? And so that was really the fun part and kind of the heart of this project. It sounds like on some level, the um, experience from an educational standpoint, we're kind of turning it on its head from the usual uh, thought that a, a, you know, a, a band director may have of saying, okay, well, I need to program a concert. I'm going to select music. And then what am I teaching through that selection of repertoire since rehearsals can be very performance heavy and based. But it sounds like this is actually uh, a little bit of the different model of getting to think about what's happening educationally the entire time as then we come up to the uh, the final performance. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the cross-curricular connections you did draw through the piece or some of those, um, you know, learning standards that and objectives that you were addressing through the whole process before the students even performed that piece? Yeah. So we knew pretty early on that we wanted to 
write a piece that somehow addressed freedom or something kind of in that that realm. And so that's where the title of the piece comes from. It's Freedom 24, The Tomorrow Will Build. And so the idea of the piece is kind of thinking about what students want the next 20 years to look like. So 20 years from now, or you know, roughly 17 to 18 years from now, what do they envision the world looking like in the best case scenario? And so the the piece kind of opens up the floor for students to have that conversation amongst each other and with their teachers. Um, it also opens up the floor for drawing cross-curricular connections with social studies, with uh, civil studies, thinking about all of those things. And we invite students in the performance of the piece to narrate during the piece and to talk about, you know, what they envision to share some of those answers with the audience, either before the piece or during the piece. And so that was a really important component for us and one that uh, seems to be exciting for, for those who are performing the piece. In terms of um, musical elements, I really wanted to focus on students working on phrasing and blending, you know, really mastering how to perform chorale types of music, which are deceptively easy, but it's always hard to kind of really have students thinking about their intonation, thinking about their balance and where they're fitting in in the ensemble. So I really wanted to challenge students to work on that in the first half of the piece. And then with the second half of the piece, kind of working on some other things like some syncopation, some of the rhythmic motifs that kind of uh, occur throughout. And then another, I'll add one more thing, another really important component for me that I really wanted to do with the piece and Lisa and Alden were super supportive of is I really wanted to make, at least for the band uh, arrangement, I really wanted the piece to be a flex piece because I remember particularly when you are performing music in that intermediate, intermediate area, I remember my time as a band director, one of the biggest struggles was not just how do I find a piece that resonates with my students, that teaches my students something that challenges them, but is still achievable to where they are. It was how do I find a piece where I can cover all of the parts? Because we just, you know, a lot of times didn't have every section covered in the ensemble. And so a lot of times that would look like either me finding a piece with a lot of doublings or me having to go and kind of make some arrangements to make sure all of the parts were heard. So I was really excited about uh, writing a flex piece. So there are essentially five parts and those five parts are dispersed to multiple instruments. So you could theoretically perform this piece as a chamber piece with just five students. And so that was really important to me so that regardless of what instrumentation you had in your classroom, you would still be able to execute the piece. And so that was a really uh, important part for me that I was excited that we were able to include. You mentioned an app before. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and the way the students interacted? I might take that question, uh, Jeff. So yes, during the pandemic, we created a web app that basically takes the repertoire the students are learning and we extract the melody we extract the baseline. So every student in the ensemble learns that, right? Think about sort of a tuba player who might not normally play the melody or a flute player who might not normally play the baseline. The idea pedagogically is that everybody learns all these critical parts and 
are thinking that we're doing in a couple of other projects right now is that this should have a positive effect on the performance of the ensemble. So that's perform. We have create, which is in this case, composing a counter melody. So we're asking the students, now that you know the melody, now that you know the baseline, can you make one of your own? Can you make a harmony? Can you make a counter melody? Something that sounds good in that context. Respond, we're asking them to take the same rating scale the teacher is using to evaluate them. The student evaluates themselves. So the research side of my colleagues and I can look, how does the student evaluate themselves compared to how the teacher evaluates them? And the connect, this is the newest part of this. Um, Lisa and I have been working on this now for a year or two. The connecting is trying to make some of these connections that Brittany just alluded to. So with the Freedom 2040 and the narration that Brittany just described, the connect activity for Brittany's piece is literally, imagine you were the narrator for this piece, write three to five sentences about what you would like the world to look like in 2040. So these four, they're grounded in the national standards, create, perform, respond, connect. The repertoire that we currently have in the web application has these activities. And I would just, again, circle back to something Brittany said, which was that we were so appreciative of her immediate willingness to do both, right? She was willing to both write the piece per the commission, and she was also willing to share these um, melodies and bass lines as the piece was progressing. So it came in shifts. And the students who learned the piece for the premiere in the fall, they had access to these melody files and it helped them in the learning of the piece. So is this something that then uh, the students were able to interact with and be a part of on their own schedules? Was this done from their own personal phone or device or computer or something like that? Um, it's built for that. I can't tell you exactly how the students did it, but I know that what the teachers did was in September when Brittany shared the melody and baseline content that went out to the students and they learned it both by ear and with notation. Um, I'm going to sidestep your question just for a second, because in November we had the opportunity for Brittany to join uh, both groups. We had the band from East High School here in Rochester, and we had one of the orchestras from School of the Arts here in Rochester, and Brittany was able to zoom in with them. And so there was a building from, okay, here's the melody and the bass line. The piece they received sometime in October, the date eludes me, but they got the piece in October. They learned it in November and December and then performed it at the December concerts. Um, but back to your original question, it's designed that if you have access to the internet, anywhere on the planet, if you have access to the internet, you can use it. It's important to us that you don't need a uh, tablet. You don't need a type of phone. You don't need this or that. If you have access to the internet, you can use the web app. That's an important access piece for us. So with that wonderful timeline, too, that you just gave us, Dr. Snell, um, Brittany, I'll, I'll come back to you. Can you tell me just a little bit more about what it was like to interact with the students and work with them on the uh, music that you had written? Yeah, it was a really great experience. And one of the, the things that was really fun was that my interaction with the students was different at both schools. And so with East High School, I was able to zoom in for rehearsal and offer feedback as best as I could over Zoom 
um, to the students. But I think it's also important that the students were able to see, you know, here's the composer of our piece. She's a living person. You know, a lot of times in band and in orchestra, even if the composer is someone who's living, which in, in those two areas, a lot of times it is, which is great. They're kind of this amorphous, theoretically real person, but someone that doesn't really exist in the space of the classroom. And so primarily you're kind of uh, looking at the music as this kind of outsider that's coming into your classroom and your teachers kind of teaching you how to perform the, the piece. But it's really nice whenever we can break that barrier and bring the composer into the classroom to interact with the students. It's nice for me as a composer, but also nice for the students. And it shows them that, you know, this is another side of music making that is totally valid and possible and an option for you if you're interested. And then when I visited the orchestra, that visit kind of took more of, I just kind of gave more of a presentation about myself as a composer and kind of what I do. And then also talked a little bit with the students about the piece. And the thing that was really great about that, and we got to experience this some with um, East High School as well, but students got to ask me questions about the piece. And so it's very rare that you get to hear from the composer themselves, you know, a question about, hey, I was wondering, like, what inspired you to write um, this solo in measure three for my instrument? Or what did you have in mind here? Or how did you come up with these ideas? And so it's really fun for students to be able to hear those answers directly from the source. But it's also great for me as a composer because I always find it really fascinating hearing what questions students ask. And so it it lets me know kind of what's resonating with students or what was new for students, what was something that they haven't encountered in another piece of music before. And the answers to those questions always surprise me somehow. It's like, oh, like that's really interesting that that particular thing resonated with students. I thought it would be something else. So that's really helpful for me and exciting for me as a, a creative person to then take that knowledge on to the next piece. And it also kind of teaches me something about my own music sometimes that I didn't necessarily see. So I really love that we had that component of me interacting with the students as hands-on as possible, you know, from a distance. And so that I feel like is also a really important part of the project sounds like that experience also gives you a little bit of a window to start assessing some level of impact that the repertoire, the experience had on those students. And this project has so many layers about um, not only the way that the students connect with you as a living composer, clearly, but also, as you mentioned, the very practical application that the repertoire has being so flexible and able to be performed. So I'd be curious to hear from all three of you about um, what kind of impact you were able to assess on the project as you saw it through. And then, of course, after the premiere last December. Yeah, I think one of the um the impact that kind of really just blew my mind the most was hearing students narration before the piece and some of them recorded some some responses. So I should back up and clarify as we already kind of discussed the piece kind of opens up and facilitates conversations for students about what they imagine the world to be like. In addition to that, it's not just a blanket statement, but in the score of the piece, there are some questions included that students can respond to. And of course, they're welcome to respond to the overall theme outside of those questions. But there are a few starter questions. And maybe in August or maybe in the summer, I recorded a short video where I answered some of those questions myself. 
and that was sent to the students so they could hear what an older person thinks and maybe respond to what I said or something else that was on their mind. And so hearing the responses to those questions the, and hearing the type of world that students kind of hope for was really, really touching. And I was so honored and flattered that this piece was not only a musical experience for them, but also an opportunity for them to think through those things and share those ideas with other people. And so for me, uh, that's like the most important part is that they learn something and then they also could share these ideas and really think about the kind of world that they want to live in and how they can help build that world. I'd love to share one of those quotes that was shared at the, one of the, at the premiere at East high school, if you uh, wouldn't mind. Many of us fear what the future holds for us all, what it holds for the next group of workers, entrepreneurs, artists, and other peoples that will uphold what this new society will look like. Freedom 2040, a piece written by Brittany J. Green, is a complete depiction of this very thought and idea. Many parents and even us as people may start to worry, is this the future we want these new adults to see? One of inequality, one of injustice, one of social divide comparable to that of the 60s. Is this really what you want for them? We hope that this piece can help inspire you to try to think and help out this new generation live a better life. That really describe the impact, I think, of them thinking about these questions. If I could say, I think a big impact for our students at Eastman was to have time to discuss these issues of how to uh, diversify your repertoire as an orchestra or band director. Um, they had the opportunity to speak with Rob Deemer, where he talked with our students in our classes about how do what's happening right now in even professional ensembles or youth orchestras. What is the percentage of pieces that are played, you know, throughout their season by women composers or uh, diverse composers as well. And it was, I think it was very, for me, sitting there and listening to Rob talk about this with our students, I was like, oh, we still have so much work to do to make it a regular occurrence that we continue to seek out pieces that show all different cultures, all different gender identities and ethnic identities. And so I think that was one uh, part, piece of this project that um, we had support from uh, an innovation grant from the University of Rochester to be able to bring Rob Deemer in. And they also had the opportunity to talk with Brittany Green about our composer, about writing for intermediate level. As uh, Alden spoke before, and Brittany, there are so many limitations. So how do you how do you work within those limitations when you're writing uh, pieces for this level? So our students got to really benefit from learning from both Rob and Brittany. And what was interesting for me, I had a student in that class that did their student teaching at School of the Arts. So she got to experience seeing this project played out in the fall where she saw the workshop that Brittany did in the fall and she was there at the premiere of the piece as well. You had mentioned layers, Jeff, and I think it's possibly worth reiterating 
the layers that happened here. And I'm going to actually start with the two in-service teachers, right? So the teachers at East High and Soda are also Eastman alum. So that was a really interesting connection through all of this. Um, Lisa just um, talked through the other little pieces of this that all sort of emerged in the spring of 2022. So instead of normally in a normal spring semester, my students will do a small arrangement project that's kind of in-house. We write for each other. We kind of follow the flex rules that Brittany was following for us, but we kind of don't. I'm just I'm being transparent with the fact that it's usually just sort of a thing in my class. This project blew it wide open, right? So everything Lisa mentioned, the fact that Brittany could join us and talk us through the process, talk through the limits, the fact that Rob Deemer could join us and give us some really concrete things to think about with programming of repertoire threaded through to like lisa just said we had a student in those workshops who then student teaches in the school where this happens and we heard uh, lisa shared one of those poignant um reflections from a student i mean i i still get goosebumps today hearing lisa read that quote and i was in the auditorium at east high school when that student read that quote the night of the premiere so again, all these layers, and it just makes me take a step back with all of that to then thank Brittany for joining us in the first place with all of this. So it just, it captured all of these things that sometimes get a little scattered in a pre-service teacher preparation curriculum. We sort of know that by the end they get it, and we hope their student teaching placement gets it together so they can go out and teach this project over the 2022 calendar year pulled everything together just really nicely. And I'll add uh, one more thing if I can. Um, I think another layer too is not just kind of opening the minds of our future music educators to think about having a more diverse repertoire, but also to remind them that they can commission new pieces and kind of the benefit of that is you can find a composer who identifies with or looks like your students. You can create a piece that is tailor-made to the specific uh, needs and strengths of your group. So you can commission a piece that highlights all of the things that your ensemble does really well, while also challenging them in the specific ways that you want to push your ensemble forward. And so we kind of talk about this, these broad concepts of like intermediate level music or grade two music, grade two and a half music. And sometimes, or a lot of times you'll find that you're like, every ensemble is different. Everyone is, is not just like easily fit within whatever the grade standards of the graded music are. And so you may have an ensemble that in some ways could be playing grade three, grade four music, but then this other way really is playing grade two music. And so that can be a challenge as an educator. How do I keep them challenged on this one particular thing without being bored with kind of these other concepts? And so commissioning a composer is a great opportunity to do that. And so I think one of the impacts of this project as well is reminding students, uh, future music educators, that that is an option, that they can build those relationships. And it's great for your students as well to see that that is what 
the music community is, is building those relationships between performers and composers and presenters and conductors. And I also had an opportunity to present this project to some students down here in North Carolina at East Carolina University. And that was a mixture of music education undergraduates and composition undergraduates and graduate students. And so they were able to walk away from that, some of them kind of connecting with each other, like maybe we should do something together. Because something I also wanted students to know is when we say you can commission composers and and kind of build these relationships together, I don't mean just commission, you know, Jennifer Higdon or or whoever, like the biggest name that you can think of. But think about your peers that you went to school with. You go to school with a ton of composers. And then that also helps because as educators, we know that budgets are difficult to work with and we might not have a lot of money, but maybe I can uh, do a, a project with a friend or a peer and that can be something that's feasible within my budget and within the scope of what I can do and still give my students a really great experience, give myself a great experience, give that composer a great experience. So I think that is kind of another layer and another resonance and impact that I've noticed. Can I just piggyback? Um, I want to come back to the flex idea one more time, because on top of everything Brittany just said, again, this we we sometimes get ourselves tied up in knots. I'll, I'll say from a band perspective, and I'll let Lisa agree or disagree from orchestra, but in band, we get really tied up in knots about the instrumentation being just so. And we all know that that's just not the case. So I just want to amplify that part of everything Brittany just said, because again, the power of the flex arranging And the reason I think there's energy around this project, like Brittany, what you just said about the work at East Carolina, it's my opinion that there's energy around this because the flex arranging helps cover so many more bases than you must have X number of fill in the instruments along the way. It's just that much more accessible. And I think it's accessible for composers. It's accessible for student composers. And it it just seems to help, again, check off a lot of boxes as we keep trying to make instrumental music as accessible as possible. I think I'll add one more thing to this is that COVID-19 really changed the numbers of players in our schools and how many students were being start at the elementary level. I know our area was affected by that in terms of numbers. So again, these flex arrangements of the pieces are so important and key for these students to have repertoire that they can really sink their teeth in, but they can also sound really great because they're not written for, you know, necessarily this standard instrumentation that uh, Alden's talking about with band. I will say it is an expensive, you know, uh, prospect to commission repertoire. So I love hearing about Brittany's ideas here, we received additional funding for this project from the Office of Academic Affairs um, just to make sure all of these layers that we've been talking about and all of these opportunities of Brittany working with students and also really creating a piece that would work for orchestra and for band uh, was made possible through all these different funding sources. So we're thankful that, you know, that happened for us with this project. 
That's an excellent point that I could imagine for many, this, a project of this size and scope and of this many layers could seem a little bit daunting. So Brittany, I'd be curious to hear from you for folks that were interested in commissioning a living composer and uh, or, or embarking on a project of some nature like this, what recommendations would you have for those individuals? Yeah, I would say um, reach out to composers in your network and I think something I would say to both educators and composers is that the beauty of a project like this is that it can look any way that you want. So it doesn't even have to look the way that we did it uh, in this particular scenario. And so when you think of it that way, that opens the door for you to be much more flexible to meet the specific needs of your students within kind of the specific restraints or budget restraints that you may have. So, you know, when we think of commissioning, we always think of, okay, I have to pay this person X amount of money. And I'm by no means, I'm not advocating not paying people, but there are other ways that you can pay people for their time. So maybe you have really nice recording equipment at your school well, composers love, <laughs> because it's very beneficial to us, having really great recordings of our pieces. So that could be something you could negotiate with to maybe get like uh, the opportunity to commission someone without it costing a lot of as much money is, you know, hey, we can make this really big recording project. Or maybe you're going to be performing somewhere that the composer would love to have their music performed at. Maybe you're, you don't particularly have a budget in your school for commissioning something, but there's a lot of funds dedicated towards bringing professionals in to do presentations or workshops with students. Basically, we're technically funding you to come work with the students, but we also have you kind of write a piece for the students as well. So kind of really being creative and thinking about how can I take the resources that I have and create a scenario that can help me create this opportunity for my students and just being open to that being very, very flexible. And I think it's really important for students too, to see that music is a community and to see that kind of relationship and that uh, collaboration happening. And just knowing that it doesn't have to be this big $10,000 huge experience in order to make it happen. I mean, you could even have someone just come in and write 64 measures for your students. Or, you know, if you have some really advanced high school students, maybe a composer comes in a couple days and does workshops with some of your seniors who are interested in composition, and they kind of facilitate the students themselves writing a piece. You know, a flex piece really only consists of maybe four or five parts, and then you can just kind of arrange those parts for each instrument. So there are lots of ways to to think about it happening, but I would say just connect with someone and be creative and be as open-minded as possible. And you can find a way to make that sort of collaboration happen for your specific program. So if we think a little more broadly too, just about education, what advice would all of you have for um, anyone who's has that uh, opportunity to educate young people, be it whether they're teaching in a public or private school or uh, separate after-school program or independently. Um, what should educators bear in mind when creating authentic, culturally responsive, meaningful experiences and for programming uh, ensemble literature for their students? I would just start with what Brittany just said, which is I think the key is introducing students to real live living composers in the first place 
instead of the sort of old dead musician composer thing that we sometimes struggle with um, in our current climate. That's that music is important, but there's more to it than that. And uh, I always think what an interesting mix it would be to put something like Freedom 2040 that Brittany wrote, put that with like a John Philip Sousa march, like the Liberty Bell. Like there are ways to have these themes come through. And I mean, the students have to see it and they have to. I love Brittany's idea of the composer coming and helping the students write the pieces. Imagine that concert, right? We had such a powerful moment with Brittany's piece. Imagine the power of these East High School students or School of the Arts students. Imagine if two or three of their works were programmed on a concert. Um, so it's that interface. It's the face-to-face. -face, it's the working with composers that I think is a really important step in this process. I would just add that when we consider what we're programming on our concerts, that we consider who we are teaching, uh, who is in the audience, who's in the community, and how are we connecting with that community as the teacher? Um, so I think it's really digging deeper into talking with our students also about maybe what their interests are and bringing that to the table as well when we're programming music. And to think maybe, yes, I have my favorite five composers that I love to put on my orchestra program. And, and I certainly do, but how can we decide to break kind of that wall down a little bit to take a chance on other other things when we're programming. I'll just add piggybacking on what Alden and Lisa just said. I think it's really important that, you know, we think about that we meet students where they are and that we really deconstruct what we're doing and divide between what is pedagogically necessary and what is just traditionally how we've taught it and really deconstruct where things fall. And that can be kind of difficult. I think particularly with music, you know, I remember my experience as a student in band was a very specific experience. You really build a very strong belief in how that should look and what that experience should feel like. And then, you know, you go on and, and you study music education and your kind of inspiration behind pursuing teaching is because of how strong that belief and experience of, of music was when you were growing up. But I think something you have to confront when you start teaching is that the band or the orchestra that you're teaching today is not the one that you were in. And, you know, things are constantly changing. And so we have to really think about what was, what is absolutely pedagogically necessary for students to learn in this particular type of way or style of teaching. And what is just something that I'm attached to because that's how I did it. And that's how people have done it in the past. And really being open to kind of divorcing away from that if it's not serving the students. And I, I always think about this one conversation I had with a music educator back when I was teaching. And I was telling her about this project I was doing, which is kind of this around the world project where we would like go on Google Maps and find a place and then like learn about music from from that place. 
And she said to me, she's like, yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, I can't spend too much time on that because I have to teach them real music because of the standards. And, you know, they have to to be able to meet the standards. And I remember thinking that was so odd because all of the standards, this is for elementary school. So all of the standards were like, you know, can sing in tune, can keep a steady rhythm, understands what quarter notes and eighth notes are. And I remember thinking, well, you could do that with anything. I mean, I could do a whole year on just rap music and meet all of those standards. But we're so used to thinking of all of these skills are only applicable to this one type of of music. And so we have to be more open. I love what Lisa said about like asking the students and connecting with them, because on the other side of that, we also sometimes make assumptions that this is what the students want to hear. And sometimes it's not, <laughs> you know, they they often surprise you in the the things that they like. And it means a lot to students too, to have the option or the perceived option, because you spend a lot of your time as a student being told what to do. So I don't know, just bring like six pieces to your students and, you know, vet all the six pieces, make sure that they pedagogically are teaching whatever it is you want to teach, and then just have them pick and let those six pieces be as diverse as possible in terms of aesthetic, in terms of who's creating the music, the identity of the composers, in terms of what they can offer the experience of playing the music. And let them pick, oh, these are the two that we really resonate with and say, okay, I'll program these two. And the and I think these two would really pair well with um, these other pieces that are more standard rep that I really love and I feel like I could do a great job teaching. And then you can open the door to have conversations that kind of going back to what Alden was saying about pairing my piece with like a Sousa piece. Imagine the power of having a conversation about what freedom means that is cross-generational. Thinking about what are some things that resonate from when Sousa wrote this piece to today, when a living composer wrote this piece. What are some things that we notice that are different? What is the same? And so you really open the door for the old repertoire, the standard repertoire, to really be in conversation with today instead of just kind of dominate conversation amongst itself. And so I think that those are, are really important experiences. Today's episode was produced by Kelly Judson. The music was written and produced by Stephen Bigner, Alexis Overman, and myself. We're going to take a short hiatus for the summer and bring you new episodes next fall under the name Careers in Crescendo, Lessons for Musicians. You'll see new artwork for the podcast, hear new music, but get the same fascinating stories and conversations from the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us via our website at iml.esm.rochester.edu. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on your preferred streaming platform. This podcast is a production of the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. The views expressed in the podcast are the interviewees and do not represent the Eastman School of Music or the Institute for Music Leadership. From the IML, I'm Jeff Dunn. See you next year.